This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put an edge on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. <laughs> Ah, can never help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. (laughs) Oh God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? (laughs) Whatever, I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up a couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hello, my labial lovers. Welcome back to the lounge. This week I've got a guest who got my attention on Instagram with his method of having sex called suction sex, which I'm going to ask him all about. And I'm just as curious as you are. So we're going to be learning about it together because I had a little squeeze, but I was like, you know what? I'm actually going to save it for the podcast and I'm going to ask the questions and do the digging on the podcast. So um, let me just introduce my guest today. I've got Aaron Michael, who's the author of Optimal Sex Life creator of Bedroom Masterclass, and a sex and intimacy coach. He's also the founder of Suction Sex, a new method for the embodiment of penetrative sex. Aaron is sought out for his innovative approach to resolving intimacy issues and optimizing individuals and their relationships. With over 15 years of experience, he crafts bespoke embodiment programs for individuals and couples. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you for having me, Freya. So... I am also a sex and intimacy coach with very different background, I imagine. And I always, always, always like the first thing people ask me is like, oh, how did you get into that? (laughs) And I kind of have to hide my eye roll because at this point I'm so fucking sick of talking about how I got into it. But it is a fair enough question and I'm going to be a dick and ask you, like, how did you begin to work as a sex coach? (laughs) Well, I'll I'll hide my eye roll (laughs) and uh, just go into it. I mean, it's... Maybe I also eye roll a little bit because everyone says, well, you know, ever since I was a kid, people came to me to ask questions and I start. The fact is that that's actually true, though. I I don't know why. I can't really explain it. But um, relationships, uh, sex, these have been things that have always been questions that people have asked me, which is interesting because I didn't actually have sex until I was 21. Um, I grew up a child of two missionary parents. My father is a pastor, so I am that son of a preacher man. And it's been an interesting journey because for whatever reason, sex was never shamed um, in my family. Wow. And so it was just something that, I mean, I, I remember the first time my dad, it would be a little story, sat down, you know, it was fifth grade, about to have sex ed in elementary school. At this time, uh, we had moved back to Indiana. We had been in Portugal. And I 
was asked by the school, you know, you had a little like pay permission slip to your parents, like, will you allow your kid to join sex ed? And, mm -hmm. and so then my dad jumps in and he's like, well, I'd like to talk to you first, son, um, about sex. Uh, what do you know? Because I, I don't even know how I knew, but I was like, well, there's a sperm and there's an egg and da -da 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 -da. And he's like, all right, well, it seems like you got it uh, rather figured out. And I was like, all right. And so he sent me off to school and, you know, I didn't learn anything new at school. Just got to watch the teacher be a little bit awkward and the kids giggle. Um, <laughs> but, um, but from there, though, I have always been interested in massage. Uh, my mother had hurt her neck uh, when we were in Portugal. She had had a, a really bad burn. And uh, so I grew up giving massages to my mom, later being an athlete. I also was helping out my fellow athletes with different injuries. And then also giving myself a lot of massage, tending to my own injuries, etc. And then reading a lot of massage books. It was kind of one of my weird hobbies, I guess you could say. And... <laughs> and so from there, I also would say that I had a very large circle of female friends. I have very close male friends, but in general, if it's kind of more larger numbers of your kind of high buy friends, casual friendships, and as well, deep friendships, um, it has been primarily women. And so that always led towards much more interesting conversations. I never cared too much about sports stats and car engines and things like that. I was much more interested in people, relationships. And, and so I guess maybe having a guy's perspective, a lot of the, my, my female friends sought me out and they actually were just friends, uh, which I think gave me a very specific way to communicate with the opposite sex, hear about other things from the opposite sex, gain that picture, but then also hear about the conversation from the men's side. And that created for some maybe unique perspectives along the way. So all of that kind of, I think, maybe prepped me uh, for this and the reason why sometimes I just have strangers talking to me, sometimes in different languages, about <laughs> their relationships and asking about about advice. They're a little bit surprised why they do as well. Now, professionally, um, I have a bachelor's in linguistics and then went into specifically like applied linguistics and then later did my master's in cognitive semiotics. And I was very keen on trying to understand how it is that the brain science and the embodiment of love come to be. And so I was looking at a lot of attachment theory at that time. I also had worked um, as a social coach going out to different uh, public areas, helping men and women get into conversations and mainly working with that area of sparking attraction and really kind of figuring out, well, why is it then? And so I wrote my master's thesis on what is it that the brain interprets as love in different scenarios, whether it is lust, romance, or long-term commitment. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for like actually the, the key word because it was, you know, having to look at it from philosophy of language. What is it that the brain registers as true? And noticing that there are very different patterns of conversation, very different patterns of interaction um, that would lead a person to saying yes to another person, maybe giving a telephone number, or maybe wanting to go say yes to marriage, or even just saying, yes, let's get into a long uh, romantic relationship. In the same way that you might have a person, for instance, who 
is very interested at a bar and they're looking for different qualities. Normally these are the kind of ludus is the Greek word for gameplay and a lot more of kind of like hierarchical structures of, you know, who's gaming who, these type of things versus in romance. It's a lot about all of a sudden are you able to become vulnerable, be able to open up. But, you know, if you were to go home on a one night stand and start asking the person about their parents, that conversation doesn't really fit into that lexicon of romance. Whereas if you were, let's say, at a church uh, potluck <laughs> and you're talking to someone and their parents happen to be there, you're going to have a very different way of flirting and interacting um, than you would if you were in the club. And so then there's a deep understanding that it's not just kind of our internal psychology. It's not just the interaction between people, but also there is an environment that helps to form meaning, especially when it comes to love. And I guess my next step then was I had been married. And when we got married, it was within the first year like immediately actually after marriage, my wife's vagina started to go numb and there was no real explanation for why this was happening. And with my master's training, I was really starting to look at the psychosomatic uh, relationship that the mind is embodied, meaning that we don't have just a brain, we don't have a body and that these things are separate. And with that understanding, a lot of things that can come up and register as physical pain numbness actually can deal with maybe past suppressed anger, fear, shame, or even numbness, which is a big one, can have to do with the psychological state of being bored. And so how do we then start to transmute these things has really become a big part of my life purpose. And looking specifically where I started off with was then later getting introduced to a midwife that had helped out my wife. And I was like, what exactly is it that you're doing? Asked her to kind of maybe take me under her wing, show me some of these things. And she was like, well, do you want to use this personally, Aaron, or professionally? And at the time, I said, well, you know, I hadn't really thought about doing it professionally because my interest is to help out my wife. And But this is maybe something I could be good at. And then when she heard that, she said, well, I'm not really doing mentorships and recommended a book to me that then she only gave me the ISBN number for. And I later looked it up and it was a book called Ethics. And basically she was saying, what does a guy like you want to learn about, you know, vaginal dearmoring and go into this, which I think is a completely fair question and very, very valid. She now is a great friend of mine. We work together. We're colleagues. She's actually on the back of my book recommending it. And, but that started, though, this very long journey of almost a year period in Denmark where without advertising, all word of mouth, without charging, just wanting to learn and explore and apply this to my wife's situation um, of doing de-armoring sessions and developing my own method. And then after about three months, the midwife was like, I've been hearing a lot about you. I mean, Denmark is not the largest country in the world. I think it's like 5.5 million people or so. They actually have more pigs in the country than a number of people. Interesting fact. <laughs> and, um, and uh, I mean, Denmark is a fantastic country. And I loved it because there is a certain relaxation and open-mindedness around sexuality and also just with the whole setup there it allowed for this kind of word of mouth thing and within three months there was about 50 women that had just i don't even know how to put it besides maybe like god or life has just brought them 
in the path with me and then they would have a session all i would ask for was feedback and then after three months i'm realizing oh my god there seems to be a big epidemic here so i start calling professionals uh, i called doctors who then said well you know yes there's a huge need for this i have lots of clients that come to me i don't know what to do for them and because of my license i actually can't tend to them and then they would recommend nurses nurses would recommend uh, physios, physios would recommend psychotherapists, psychotherapists would recommend sexologists, sexologists would recommend doctors. And it was just this endless loop of no one really being able to address this. And in Denmark, especially, you have women who are extremely empowered. They have extremely well-paying jobs. They are extremely physically fit. But on a physical level, though, there is normally a lot of tightness in the pelvic floor because they're training the high intensity, high impact type of trainings that aren't necessarily the best situation for the pelvic floor, as well as being in extremely, quote unquote, masculine male roles that didn't have them feeling very in touch with their ability to let go, their ability to kind of step into this more feminine essence, whatever words you want to use for this. And so it was an interesting thing because they, in some sense, felt a body like uh, dysphoria, which is meaning that like they are not feeling in touch with this side of their body and it would not, it would cause complications in the relationships they had or a lot of times in the relationships that they weren't able to get into. And so immediately when we would be working with maybe what they thought was either a pain or, and by that I mean physical or maybe even a psychological frustration, there would be a lot of releases and using my massage skills and then just being kind of immersed in this over the next seven months or so, there was like about 50 or so other professionals who were, you know, a lot of times women. And they would say, by the way, I'm also one of these women come give me a session. And then from there, they said, you really need to sit down, make a book. And the midwife said, you need to name your own method. You need to go forward because the things I've talked to you about, you are now combining breath, voice and movement in a very unique way. And since I was then doing this also daily morning and night practicing with my wife, I was starting to go, you know what, if the body can open in this way, when you have to be just very acutely aware of everything that's going on, what lessons can be extracted from that and then translate as well into helping people with everyday life who aren't looking to do a dearmoring session with their partner, but how does this change then the way that we go about having sex? And so that was the early beginnings of suction sex. Wow. Totally not the answer I was expecting. That's such an interesting journey to kind of just almost fall into it really um, and like pull that thread and just keep following it. And it obviously just started falling into your lap, literally like, you know, the work is needed obviously and you're in the right right place at the right time. And it's so interesting because I feel like, when I trained in yoni massage and yoni mapping and dearmoring, I, I might not have been in the right place at the right time to kind of have clients just flowing into me or maybe what I think is really powerful and people often need different things. The modality I'm trained in is, you know, it, it was kind of the catchphrase or not catchphrase, but, you know, how we marketed ourselves back in the day was 
it's a modality for women by women, so only women mm-hmm. were allowed to train and be qualified in it. And so that's that sort of serves a certain demographic that really finds that nurturing, safe kind of therapeutic healing space uh, more beneficial being provided by another person with a vagina um, and that's safer for them. But I think it's there's some there's a key piece that some of my clients eventually like needed that I couldn't provide, which was that really safe, present masculine energy and and that is like the final healing piece for some people who have a lot of trauma around men maybe you know sexual trauma um and and potentially like some i don't know imbalance or some grappling that they're doing with even their own inner masculine and inner feminine and so it's really interesting because, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that all of these women are like, what? You do what? Oh, I'll come and be a guinea pig, you know, um, because it's actually quite rare to find that safe space when it comes to men. And like, you know, you're talking about people always bringing up their intimate lives or wanting to talk to you about sex or ask your advice or just opening up to you um, about this sort of thing. And I think people are craving a safe space to talk about that. And it's especially rare to find a man that's providing that space. And it sort of reminds me of um, something my partner said, I've spoken about it on this podcast before, but he said that it's such an honor and a privilege. And he really loves the fact that he's my partner and he gets to talk about what I do because when he meets women and they hear about what I do, despite the fact that they've only just met him, they all of a sudden see him as a safe space. They start telling him about their period clots and their, you know, their sex lives. And they start talking about all of this intimate stuff that would usually be like absolutely off the table to chat with like a strange man. But because they hear about they hear him talking about my work and what I do and then they all automatically go oh okay well you must be on board you must understand you must be a safe person to talk to about this they love it like it's so healing and you know nourishing to actually have that masculine presence um and be able to talk about the feminine stuff with it and so what I heard from that is like obviously you've got a knack for body work and a knack with people but you know it sounded like people were really craving that safe masculine to let their un, you know, their feminine unwind, especially if they're in these really high stress, quite masculine, you know, workplaces and things like that. So, yeah, super interesting. So, are you still doing the body work as like a main component of your work, like in person, or are you coaching people online more or writing more? Like, what's the kind of focus now? Well, right now, my big um, focus is building a platform and trying to get this education out as broadly as possible, because I think that this isn't just for your either kind of like pseudo spiritual tantric yogic types. And so when I wrote my book, Optimal Sex Life, it was really about how do we make this accessible to your everyday Joe and Jane? And how can it be applicable for them? And then from there, I believe in the same way, as opposed to needing to preach any kind of spirituality, as opposed to needing to use any type of words that would be coming from other traditions, how is it that we can get this to be very relatable, very practical? And then from a felt state, the body I trust is going to open up and bring up different questions that then will create a very natural change from the inside out. And I loved what you stated about the importance of, yes, 
having this beginning part, especially for a woman to have this journey with a woman, because what I've noticed is that to kind of, if a woman is almost not connected to her own feminine self, being able to work with another woman that kind of holds that mother type of energy space can help for deep reconnection there. And that's what, when I was working with Susanna Rorsko, who's the midwife, definitely look her up. She is amazing. Um, is that this has become a very important part. And that was kind of one of her questions as well is, well, what is a man doing working in this space? Where does that fit? And I proposed exactly what you said. And she also has come to the place of saying, you know, you're absolutely right. And so once a lot of women have dealt with the trauma on a certain level of their own self, then they want to be able to deal with the next challenge, which is how do I now confront this in the space with a man that is going to help me lean into, you know, whatever the thing experience was and then have a new narrative be able to be rewritten from an embodied perspective mm -hmm. and then find that inside themselves that they have safety. But my passion right now is bespoke programs, but, um, I did built online courses, um, which I've just started to release, just brought out, uh, nine naughty nights or nine dates for suction sex, which is a couple's one. Um, I also have a men's course, a women's course, but I'm always looking for how can a person start to not just work with themselves, but really begin to interact with the opposite sex. Because when I was working for an app, um, I quickly learned most people's questions are, well, how can I make a partner feel good? So as opposed to trying to, again, fight against that and say, no, no, you need to do these mantras, you need to do this and this and this, instead, meet the person where they're at, give them the answers they have, and then as they start to go deeper down the rabbit hole, then these things will start to merge. So I love to provide educations either in live workshops going to Austin um, in just uh, the end of this month, but also live events online um online programs and stuff just to really get people again to be in touch with their bodies and have tremendous experiences shared experiences with their partner with themselves and then from there then starting to allow for a lot of the different questions and things that will naturally come up when you go on to a path of self-discovery dope love it yeah i'm on i'm on the same page like there's only so many you know, yonis I can map in one day, you know, and there's only so many people I can help with the hands-on body work. So I've also kind of gone down that road of creating online programs and, and doing more stuff online and sort of workshop retreat stuff so that, yeah, I can kind of like disseminate this information to more people more efficiently. Um, Such as so this lovely podcast you're doing. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, what are some of the biggest issues that you see like commonly coming up when it comes to the way that people are having sex and, and engaging in intimacy? Like that's a huge question, but surely there's a few that, you know, you just see time and time again and you're like, all right, the first thing we're going to tackle is this. <laughs> well, that's an interesting one. I mean, because I am really dealing with a vast array of issues with people coming to me. I mean, sometimes yeah. people are coming to me because I can't lift my left arm because I had a, I had a car accident and I have this inflammation or buildup of fluid in around my pelvic floor area. Or it even could be, you know, I just want to be able to have better penetrative sex. 
And so one of the things that I do is get people in touch with their pelvic floor. I mean, it sounds so basic, so simple, so mundane, but if we are divorced from this part of our body, and again, we have to understand that the mind is embodied. So if we are divorced from sensation of our pelvic floor, there's also a very large chance that we are also divorced from this aspect of our sexuality. And I think it's Carl Jung that says, you know, if you are not conscious of the subconscious, then your subconscious is going to run your life and you'll likely call it fate. So if we are just, that means that basically if we're not attached or not connected to this part of our body from our heart down, then it is in the unconscious and we go into a perfunctory mode uh, when we engage sexually. So if you wanted to ask, well, why is it maybe then, Aaron, that you focus specifically on penetrative sex and a lot of your products and a lot of um, the different things that you help people work through, it's because that's where I find there is a serious dearth of information. I mean, if, if people... If people were just connected to their sexuality, then I probably would be dealing a lot with the brain. If they were not connected to their pinky finger, that's what I would be spending my sessions doing. But I want people to be able to have their whole body accessible to them and be able to think, feel, and process information from that. And that's where then, and the reason why I focus specifically on penetrative sex, because whether it's sex ed, which is telling you primarily what how you know you can get pregnant if you can pee if you can have a period if you are able to ejaculate then you know everything's fine you can have a kid and there you go or you know if you're looking at porn then it's kind of very performative and even inside of you know where we have our more sex positive education there really isn't much on penetration. Everything is about the stuff that you do beforehand, the stuff that you do after. There's a lot of things on foreplay, but for whatever reason, and even inside of the actual tantric practices, which are more <laughs> the kind of a, not their neo-tantra, but even then they have a lot of different types of visualizations, mantras, but how does all of this translate into the bedroom, specifically active penetration? And I think this is where then I talk about embodied love. Can I ask you a question actually really quickly? Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, and support from a community of labial legends. I also have an account on the fab new app Sunroom, which is a platform created by women for women and non-binary folk, and where there's no shadow banning or censorship of sex-positive content unlike with the other platforms that I'm on. So you can hit up my sunroom for extra content and real and raw life updates because I'll be sharing on there from now on all of the stuff that I can't post anywhere else. My vision for both of these is that they become really supportive, educational and hilarious resources for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions that you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes and I'll hopefully see you in there. And now back to the episode. Of course. So when I think about embodied love, 
I normally will start off this way. I'll say, all right, Freya, what are some qualities that you would associate with love? Hmm. <laughs> um, I guess like the feeling that I get when I'm with someone and the sense of uh, safety and, and mm, I guess I get protective over people. Mm. Like I care for them and I want to, I want to protect them. I want the best for them. I don't know. That's actually something I don't, it's just something I do, but I don't think about that much, you know, but it is tricky because we have such different, um, like we're sold a certain idea of romantic love and it's not necessarily very on point. It's more kind of commodified and designed to make us feel insecure, you know, and, and jealous and possessive. Well, so another question, another way of asking it too would be then, what are some of the values that you would associate with a person that you would go, okay, this is a person who is really like a loving, trustworthy partner, for instance? Mm, uh, that they have my back and I have their back. That's like a really important thing to me is, is sort of, um, yeah, yeah, having one another's backs and I guess like helping each other grow in a in a supportive nurturing way like always always pressing one another to be better and do better i mean i'm a bit of a personal development junkie though so that's that's kind of my, I'm a bit biased but um yeah i don't know can't put my finger on it no but that's i think is 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 really important you mentioned safety you mentioned security having each other's back there seems like some aspects of responsibility and so my natural question then is always okay then how do these extremely important qualities translate into the act of sex? How do we mm, actually oh. embody safety, security, helping each other with others' backs, as well as you mentioned, helping each other grow? I mean, these are foreign concepts to the act of sex. If what we've seen is something more performative, if it's something that is more functional, mm. and so then the question becomes is, okay, then how do these very important attributes and values then translate into when we actually embody sex? So this could be being very, mm -hmm. when we hear the word presence, well, what does that mean if we're not thinking about an idea? Well, being present is actually being able to be aware of the other person's breath, being able to regulate your system next to theirs in a way that you start to breathe with them. And then from that place, starting to slow down and moving into connectivity, all of a sudden here, you have a lot of safety that comes in. So, I mean, we can go on and on about it, but that then kind of blossomed this idea of the embodiment of love. How do we actually embody love in these different scenarios? And the reason why, again, focused on penetrative sex is because we have a lot of people who have really strong values, really strong relational goals, really great ways of communicating with one another. But then when it comes to sex, that kind of goes out the window you go through an act, but then they, I've noticed a lot of people have this sort of inner tearing inside themselves because they want to bring that into the act of sex, but they've only seen it as something that's either like taking or, you know, being like mm -hmm. extremely physical and rough. But, and you know, that can be hot. That can be extremely hot in the moment, but all of a sudden there's only one expression of which then you can only go into that expression or desire it when you're in that mood for it. But life has a myriad of moods that come about. And so how do we meet each other moment by moment inside the bedroom 
giving the person what it is that they need, what it, stating the things that we want, what we're curious about, and having kind of all of a sudden now this whole rainbow, this whole spectrum of possibilities of expression, of interaction that really will soothe and respond to what our soul needs at that moment. Mm, yeah. And I think that's what attracted me so much to sacred sexuality or I mean, I got into the whole realm of sexuality via Neo-Tantra and I've done episodes mm. on that and the sort of problematic uh, <laughs> um, pathways that that you can stumble on via Neo-Tantra, but we won't go into that. But I think like that that <laughs> real difference between fucking and making love is something that I talk about a lot and I, and I bring into my coaching work as well because, I mean, I just – my my biggest kink if anyone ever asked me like what what's what's your kink like what's really erotic to you i'm like i just like being completely in love with someone and like feeling like i can totally trust them and just like looking into their eyes and kind of just like making love to them like it's it's so it sounds so vanilla but that is the hottest thing to me and <laughs> i just have never been able to understand you know this i mean i i understand why people fake orgasms, why people bring this sort of mm. performance aspect into it. Like I get it. I know why that's happening. I understand why, um, you know, that's people's default and that's sort of the blueprint that we get that we get shown and so you don't know any better and, you know, there's it's a very complex layered issue. But personally, it's never been my jam and I've never really understood what the point of having sex was unless it was to make love, you know, mm. like – I guess I, I'm not like a sexual type. I don't um, my my sexual blueprint or erotic blueprint or whatever. It's not it's not kinky. It's not sexual. It's not visual. It's totally about like the emotional safety and being met emotionally. And so, like making love, I think is just paramount to like plumbing the depths of at least like female pleasure to the extent that they can be plumbed. Like I think, sure, you can have an amazing time. You can fuck, you can get kinky, you can, you know, all of that stuff can be really enjoyable and fun and sexy. But you know what makes it even more fun and sexy is if you have like safety and trust and like respect for one another and amazing communication and love. Like that's one night stands just never did it for me, you know, or at least it's at some point they stopped doing it for me. Cause I was like, nah, I just need more. Um, so like, I totally, I totally agree with, with all of that. And I think a lot of the things that I see as being massive issues, like popping up really regularly, like when people come to me and I'm like, wow, okay, this is, this is a, this is a really wide spirit, widespread issue. They're all kind of revolving around the fact that we're not making love we don't we mm. don't realize that you can take that love into the bedroom like you said you know there's terrible communication there's like you know really hard fast pounding friction-based sex that doesn't feel good for a vagina um and then there's women pretending they enjoy that because they don't want to hurt the man's feelings and dent his ego and then none of us are learning and we're all having terrible sex <laughs> it's just like a bit of a shit show um so, yeah, that, that was a bit of a rant, but I just feel really strongly about um, developing the skills and the, and the comfortability with being vulnerable enough to actually mm. bring, bring, yeah, I guess what you call embodied love um, into the bedroom. Is that kind of where you were angling? Is that like, you know, if you're, if you're having sex with that really embodied love, that's kind of where the sweet spot is and that's what you're trying to help people to learn? 
Well, a big passion of mine is to help people become more embodied, basically not having a divide between <clears throat> this false dichotomy of the mind and body. And so what I mean by that the, that the mind is embodied is that literally our fingers, our feet, our genitals, our heart are all part of our mind, the way that we process the world, the world. Um, and there's a, again, as you've mentioned very well, that this aspect of love is so important. The embodiment of love can be very challenging when you think about, well, what is your sort of general attachment behavior? And I say the word behavior because I'm not really a big fan of these typing of people because I feel that becomes a bit stagnant. So instead I look at attachment theory, these different types or whatever, even the erotic blueprint, these are behavioral patterns that we have a tendency towards. And as behavioral patterns, we can explore them, we can expand them and we can be free of them and we can also embrace them. So for a person who's has a typical avoidant attachment behavior, the idea of making love <laughs> and being, which again, here normally that would mean is physically putting your hearts close together, you know, not turning the person away and tapping it from behind doggy style. You know, that is, that is maybe where <laughs> they would be more comfortable having sex. But then the thought of coming close literally can feel like they are having emotional scar tissue being torn open because it's making them vulnerable and that can be extremely scary. So how do you help that person along the path? I might prescribe to them, you know, Hey, start experimenting with holding your partner close. Whereas someone who's anxious and their gateway drug into the whole moving in sex is, you know, having the candlelight, having all of the romance there, but they cannot deal with the person having their own individuation and they need to always feel that they're reaffirmed, but they can never actually be fully satisfied by them. Then I would start to say, okay, well start to experiment with keeping your hearts further apart, allowing your partner to do these different things. You know, that can be termed even more like fucking, but how do you do it from a place that's connected and see that the person actually is still there. And when I look at a secure attachment, it's not this stagnant, like Zen like state. It's actually having a dynamism of what could even be seen as some avoidance, some anxious, some, and having a balance in that. Because let's face it, you know, when you are first starting the relationship, that ability to flirt, that ability to play, that ability to have like that kind of charge is important. And it's also important in the long-term relationship, just as much as having some sense of that security, some sense of that like deep, um, intimacy, and then eventually being able to build kind of long-term plans and goals as a couple. And I think this is where it gets really interesting now on the embodiment of love is how can you have your relationship goals become almost like a prayer manifestation, a mantra, whatever kind of terminology you feel comfortable with. But if you can bring that into the sexual experience, all of a sudden now I understand when religions talk about sacred union, sacred union doesn't just mean what not to do. Okay. Wait till you're married and it gets all done. But how do we actually create a union with one another that from this extremely amazing sensorial felt state, and we then generate energy to motivate ourselves outside of the bedroom, hold ourselves accountable with one another and do it from a place of joy and celebration. Mm, beautiful. 
Yeah, wow. Well, I'm just going to like unceremoniously slot in the segment TMI, we love it, because I feel like we kind of even did a bit of a get pregnant and die like right off the bat. And unless you have like another sex ed story you'd like to share with us, I feel like we could we could even just launch into TMI or combine the two. What do you reckon? Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. And we can get back to, I'm going to definitely grill you on, on suction sex and the more sort of practical elements of, of what we can be starting to experiment with and explore. But for now, do you have a TMI story that you can share with us? Maybe something that um, was embarrassing or something that would be vulnerable or inspiring to share. Um, you've listened a little bit to the podcast, so you kind of get the, you get the brief. <laughs> well, um, here's one that would maybe be for some of your male listeners, but also for your female listeners mm-hmm. as well. Uh, so I mentioned earlier on the part of my journey, which had to do with the exploring the, the female body was helping my wife then go mm-hmm. through numbness and began to awaken and even feel pain and then be able to start to move into pleasure. So for myself, I had, how old was I? I think I was, well, so first of all, I mean, I didn't have sex until I was 21. Not that ever seemed mm-hmm. embarrassing to me, but I, because of that, started to masturbate actually with the book, The Multi-Orgasmic Man. I never actually oh, wow. um, had come until I was 19 and it wasn't on my own. It was from a blowjob. And then at that time though, I had spent that prior summer beginning to masturbate, but for lasting. And I just thought everyone could like have sex and enjoy themselves for hours. And so I remember talking to some of my guy friends and they're like, what? It's like a five minute thing. What are you doing? Three hours? Like, what are you talking about? More than that? It doesn't even make sense. I'm like, what are you talking about? Five minutes? Like you don't even get to flick the lighter and get anything that could be your fire. We had a fireplace. You don't get that going in five minutes. What are you talking about? So to me, it was like these two other worlds. But then something very important happened from to me. And this is kind of my, my Chiron story. Chiron is uh, the teacher of Achilles, was a centaur. Um, and he is known as a very famous healer, but he can never heal himself. And so he eventually died of a, of a mortal wound that he was never able to heal. And I was, I think it was 24, and I went to go to the bathroom to pee. And all of a sudden, my urinary and my bladder was full. I must have drank a lot of water. <laughs> and I go to go pee, and all of a sudden, the stream stops. And I just had this excruciating pain. And I really needed to pee. And so I pushed and I felt whatever it was move inside me, cut me again, again, and again, four times. And I filled up the toilet bowl, red, dark crimson red, full of blood. And I was in excruciating pain. I then um, went to doctors, urologists, and they gave me all kinds of stupid answers. And I say that unapologetically because the I literally have had like two doctors that have really, really listened to me. And I had basically uh, had a kidney stone, which had gone through and cut me along my urethral lining. 
But the key is, mm. is that inside on the inside of my bladder where that orifice is, you know, before it goes towards the prostate and into the urethra, become very familiar with my internal anatomy because of this. And this is kind of where I'm going maybe because this has been a key piece on being able to relate better and help men that have lasting longer type of issues, but not just lasting longer to last longer, but to actually feel more while lasting longer mm-hmm. and not have to think mm-hmm. about, you know, sheep, grandma or whatever to distract oneself, which then again makes you very not present during the sexual experience, but your partner will notice that you're all of a sudden an empty shell. They're just pumping away. I think you've used mm-hmm. so far the plumbing and uh, diving as some of these uh, metaphors when he said about <laughs> going into topics, my father's side of the family is plumbing, but anyways, I don't want to digress. What happened is that this put me on a journey, a very long journey of trying to figure out and understand what had happened because I felt on the side of the bladder that there was something there that was still lodged. And all of a sudden I went from just being able to have sex as long as I wanted to, to literally, I'd feel like my erection would get to like 60-70%, not even fully hard, and there wouldn't even be contractions, and then ejaculate would just come out. And the sad thing was, in my sexual experiences that I had from there, women were still saying this was amazing, their best thing, and I was just like, how is that even possible? Because I can feel the energy going in a certain direction, and we're at like maybe 10-20% of what could be there, but this is being considered phenomenal. Well, what this did for me, the though, standards oh, are low. <laughs> I mean, the standards are non-existent. Like they just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, if you can kind of like say something nice, give a little bit of eye contact, and hold the person after, you're probably already an epic lover for most people. So, <laughs> um, so what ended up happening though is this then set me on a path of. I mean, I did everything from learning self-hypnosis, um, from learning how to like massage deeper. And eventually it actually started to take, I took, it was eight years later and I had doctors telling me, Oh, maybe you just have like an STD. And I'm like, I'm not even having sex. I've had all kinds of tests. Like I don't, it's not, don't give me your gonorrhea or chlamydia pill. This isn't what I'm telling you. Like actually take a look with a urethral scope and Mm. and see what's going on there. And that was the last thing that they really wanted to do. They would try and intimidate me saying, Oh, you know, that's going to be painful and blah, blah. I'm like, you don't understand pain, buddy. Like putting a scope in there is not anything compared to what happened when this thing went through and cut me. So eight years later, I actually came across these metal tools called urethral sounds. I don't know. Like these are, and I took the thing out myself basically And I found the little stone that had been lodged in there and had scabbed over and everything. And I can't tell you the miracle it was when I pissed that thing out eight years later after the fact, saw it sticking to the toilet. I'm like, you were the little guy. And my cock um, stood up straight or straight out. It wasn't hard. It just turned a deep, dark purple. It was completely in its non-shower state. And, And it all of a sudden is buzzing like a tuning fork where I feel the buzz, not at the head of the penis, but beyond it, like kind of energetically out there. And I could start to move that point. And I was like, Oh my God, this is interesting. So my wife comes home and she's like, Aaron, I want to try it out. And meanwhile, I'm like all kind of like in this 
altered state. And I'm like, uh, what? You're like, yeah, I want to try it. I'm like, oh, geez, you women really are pleasure sluts. <laughs> and, so, and so she jumps in and, and, and we do this. And I start moving this point with my mind and it's like causing reactions in her. And I'm like, well, whether you have like a centimeter or you have, you know, a hundred centimeters, all of a sudden this range of energetic cock of energetic body is what makes a huge difference in terms of sensation. I became very aware of my own sensory experience and optimal sex life. I, I talk about all the different types of factors that you can do to help set up the stage for you to, you know, have your body on your side when you go into a sexual experience to be able to last longer, but also to be able to feel more while doing that. Cause it's such an important key. And also too, I think this is a takeaway for women is understanding that normally we think of a guy's cock as only having worth if it's hard, if you can get it up, stay up, keep it up and then ejaculate when you want to, so that you don't feel bad about yourself for not being also a good lover. And so this sensitivity around the importance and connection of a cock to the entire person and how as well to be able to help as a partner to be able to actually train and regulate your partner's arousal levels to help them be able to actually begin to expand their pleasure potential becomes such an important um, aspect of kind of building these sexual bridges so that way we are actually kind of clearing this orgasm gap which essentially isn't just for women but also for men because they think that their greatest pleasurable experience is those you know several seconds of ejaculating as opposed to the energetic buildup that can be alive in their body that can actually recharge them and that they don't need to just you know kind of dissipate it and make that tension go away but can actually sit with it harness it and use it to fuel other aspects of their life as well and now all of a sudden we have another key part of the penetrative act the embodied love act that gets to be rewritten as we repurpose it towards something that is much more in alignment with all the other aspects of our life. Mm. Whoa. That was like one of the wildest stories I've ever fucking heard. That's loose, dude. You got a urethral sounding instrument and dislodged a kidney stone from your own bladder. What? Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> what a relief that must have been. <laughs> oh, my God. It was a huge relief. And, like, I can't believe, like, just going back to, I mean, you gave, like, a perfect get pregnant and die in that as well. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise. Because the fact that you hadn't masturbated until you were 19, um, you didn't have sex till you were 21, you're like your first foray into that sort of uh, content was the multi-orgasmic man. Like, who are you? Come on. No, like, that is the most unusual, especially now. Like, if you think about, you know, young men's, young boys, like initiation into sex and into into erotic pleasure now, it is just like straight up like porn and heavily friction-based wanking and it's creating these like absolutely atrocious lovers which is creating this environment you know 
in especially heterodynamics now where like you you know as you're saying women have like no fucking standards and they don't realize how much pleasure they can have and how someone could actually treat them um and it's just the blind leading the blind and what you were kind of talking about with regards to um you know there just being so much more pleasure and connection and depth available but people not realizing and just settling for like you know a couple of minutes that's fine whatever that's normal apparently um I'm always talking about this with with um with regards to vaginas because I think so many people think a little bit of clitoral pleasure is just about as good as it gets and they completely bypass the you know the deeper longer lasting states of orgasmic pleasure that we can have through internal stimulation mm. and penetration mm. so you know so many people kind of don't really look much further than the clitoris and and a quick kind of clitoral orgasm which like totally not um you know minimizing that like i've got a whole episode called clitgasms aren't the devil because amazing experience to have <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but i really like to just give people the option and be like you know like nothing wrong with a clitgasm but if you did want to go a bit deeper and explore other other forms of pleasure other ways to have orgasms like the internal structures of the vagina are like you know pretty epic um yes. and so maybe maybe let's start to you know like traverse that that inner landscape and use the clitoris as like as a gateway and, and a tool to to kind of explore other forms of orgasm and so like when you're talking about focusing on penetrative sex um i love that because i think it's been a little bit uh i don't know like almost demonized it's just like oh you know most women can't orgasm from penetrative sex and it's you know it's crap for them anyway and and you know truthfully it it kind of is these days because of the way that we're having penetrative sex and the way that it's been normalized, which is not really good for vaginas. You know, it's only really good for massively desensitized cocks that just get like friction wanked off constantly, um, in my opinion. And so, and so I want to talk about. Yeah, the, this method that you're calling suction sex and how, how it's kind of revolutionizing penetration, um, for both the cock and the pussy in this situation. Cause like it really isn't, it, we're not having like, I mean, I'm having awesome sex, but like, tr like the amount of people I talk to that are having pretty shocking sex and that don't like penetration and that really, um, prefer, foreplay and they just do the penetrative bit to kind of like please the guy um that's just so sad and it's so common for people to be like yeah like i like oral but like ugh, like sex can kind of i can take it or leave it like the inside of my vagina is basically numb like why would i enjoy that and I'm just it's like, for his oh, pleasure <laughs> excuse the interruption my loves but i'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five star ratings for the potty because as i'm sure you've noticed by now it's pretty fab. And the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings help me curry favor with the algorithmic gods and get suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel really good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. And I promise I don't maz over them or anything. I mostly just tuck them away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed, which is 
fairly frequently. (laughs) So you see, leaving a review really does make a difference and it's an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Choose your poison, or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Whoa now. If you are writing a review, though, just be sure to only use G-rated words, because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't actually show up. Lame. Anyway, oh, oh, what was that? Oh, you're going to go do it right now while I wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great idea. May as well just quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, like forget about it and get on with your day. Um, um, oh, I'm hearing them roll in. I'm hearing those five stars. <laughs> oh my God, I make myself cringe. Anyway, uh, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Yeah. So... Yeah, what suction sex? Give us the rundown. All right. Well, let's break it down. Let's jump into this. Well, one of the things that you mentioned, first of all, is penetrative sex, and we've been talking about that. And so the idea of penetration is one directional. I mean, the word vagina for in the Latin is a sheath for a sword. Like it's basically an empty hole that you just kind of fill. And that's it. This concept of the vagina is just a hole that you penetrate. So the first part of section sex is understanding that penetrative sex is actually bidirectional, meaning that as much as you have a person entering, you have a person who is swallowing you, mm. bringing you in, engulfing you. We don't even have a word <laughs> for this in the English language. I mean, I have spoken to so many people, played around with so many ideas. Uh, is it going to be engulfment? Is it like swallowing? Suction is kind of the word that comes best for this because we just simply don't have it. And so an understanding now that sex is bidirectional gives us Secondly, a different way to orient sensationally. So if your idea of creating sensation inside an empty hole, and interestingly enough, it's not just guys. You also have a lot of women who can only feel anything if they're really getting banged hard and going into this kind of more fucking state. And a lot of times it's probably because of this more, what's it called, spectatoring, where you're seeing yourself from the outside and Mm -hmm. you think that looks hot. You can tell the other person's getting into it. And even just sensationally, okay, first two moments at least I can enjoy because it shocks me. And I can enjoy the last several moments when the guy comes because, you know, that feels nice as well potentially. You need a reorientation on sensation. So now as opposed to feeling for harder, bigger, faster, which is what friction can give you, is how can you start to actually feel for the sensation of suction, what it is to make a suction seal? A quick little experiment as I will have a person take their finger, put it in their mouth, and start to move their finger as fast as they can while squeezing the lips down as hard as they can and see how much sensation you get from it. Mm. The second thing I'll do is I go, okay, now start to suck with your mouth and move your finger and see the difference of the sensation that happens there. And they go, oh, that feels better. And then they notice something else. 
they've started to move their finger differently. They've started to move their mouth differently. Their finger 360 degrees is getting stimulated. The mouth internally is getting stimulated 360 degrees. And now because of understanding and again, to do the bi-directional sex, you need to have access to that pelvic floor. You need to be able to be an active receiver, an adaptive giver. Then you have a different reorientation around sensation. But then all of a sudden, and this is the big part here on the third category, is that when you start to move your body differently and you start to use that sensation and generate energy, all of a sudden you have a repurposing as well of what sex can be in your life. Because now it's not just this one directional act. It's not just about harder, bigger, faster. That's going to give you kind of this much of an experience. But instead, now you have access to energetics. You have access to different types of pleasure experiences. You have different ways to communicate different types of values in the embodiment. And you have literally a entire new toolbox, a new philosophy, a new methodology around sex. And this is then that third phase where there's a whole bunch of change because suction sex isn't just a series of techniques. In fact, what it becomes is this whole new toolbox of being able to relate to your partner in a different way based off of the communication and understanding of what it is that they truly need in that moment. How can you deeply meet them while also meeting yourself? And then from there, start to build a more robust nervous system so that you can go deeper and deeper into your edges and find an incredible amount of transformational healing around past experiences, but also optimization as we start to really step into our true human potential. Because let's face it, if you want to be being a mature human and the way I look at it, mature sexually doesn't mean that you have some pubes that are coming out now. It actually means that you have a certain comfort, <laughs> understanding, and expression and use of sex as something that isn't just about mating, isn't just about ejaculation. And then all of a sudden now you have a repurposing. I think that last part is so incredibly important because the kind of philosophies that we have, even if we look at like Taoism, you have the need for longevity. And so the sexual act is really about having more longevity. Tantra, it's about spiritual transcendence. I'm speaking in broad strokes here with the kind of humanity in terms of passing on bloodlines. It was very much about passing on the bloodline. If we look at religion, it's about, you know, the sacred calling of mating and repopulating the planet. But if you think about like, okay, that is the goal. Sex then gets physically expressed in a very specific way that doesn't necessarily go into well, what happens if we actually place pleasure as a centerpiece of what is important in our health. What can pleasure do for us in reconditioning ourselves to not have all these self-limiting beliefs? What can sex do for us if it, it becomes something that actually energizes us and empowers us as opposed to then depleting us after five minutes and making us tired and just having to go to sleep. How do we do all of these kind of self-improvement practices? And then where does sex have its rightful place in that? So when you can start to, again, understand that sex is not just one directional, when you can start to 
orient your bodies around creating a different type of sensation. And then we have the experience of that and then start to see, well, what are the implications in the rest of our life? This is what I mean by suction sex. And there's levels to that. There's many levels to it. And <laughs> you just continue exploring it. That's the most beautiful thing is that there, I'm a lifetime learner. Like I, you know, I'm not the person that was yesterday or the time before. I always want to be learning more and going deeper. And I think that's also a very important part when I've looked at what builds healthy, long-term romantic relationships, which is out of the thousands of papers I went to to write my thesis on on the, the embodiment of love or an activism and going through attachment theory, I found like two papers that even mentioned that there was something possible such as long-term romance. And this is when you start to move beyond the kind of neurotic romantic aspect of it. Mm. And these were the things that they said that you one as a couple had shared common interests two that you then had a shared hobby and three, that you had an ability to be playful and play within that with your partner. That was actually the essence of being able to have long-term romance. And these couples described it as not the neurotic aspect of romance earlier on because they said, well, my body couldn't maintain that, you know, like over a 20-year period. We're not built for that. But what better way than to have sex and the sexual experience become your hobby, become your shared experience, become your area of play with one another? which allows for discovery, which allows for adventure. And then you're not doing the same routine. You're continually finding out who it is that you're meeting day by day on a very, very intimate level. Because hopefully if you are growing, then the people you were when you first met 20, 40, 60 years ago won't be the person you are that day. And so how do you continually mm -hmm. help each other grow beyond those edges and know who you are relating to, not just by trying to recreate someone you were 20 years ago, but who you are in that moment. And all of a sudden these things about growing apart seems a bit ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Love that. However, mm -hmm. I still don't understand what the actual physical, like how do you create a suction seal? How can you tell if you're actually, if, if you've created it, if you're maintaining it, like the physical side of this for people practically, if they want to give it a go, Let's go like over how, level how one. Do you, how do you, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's Let's called suction it. sex. And I understand that there's like all of these other layers to it, which are beautiful. But the name, I want to understand the suction bit of it. <laughs> level one. How do you get your, I don't know, if, well, you're the labia lounge. I've heard you use. How do you get your pussy, yoni, vagina, vulva, mm -hmm. but actually, though, the pelvic floor to work like a mouth? In the same way that you don't shove food down your throat, you swallow. How do you get your pussy to start to work like a mouth? So very quickly, we can cover level one of the female body side. And frankly, it doesn't just a vagina. This is any orifice, whether it's a blowjob, whether it's your anus, whether you are gay, whether you, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, how do you get your orifice to start to bring a person into you? So first step, let's go ahead. And most people are trying to do when they try and have sex or try and experience more as they try and squeeze. That's why I have the hard lip thing where you're like pushing mouth and you move the finger as fast as possible. So, and this is what I do in a dearmoring session. This is kind of like the first beginning of the coaching along with just how to breathe correctly is 
and we'll skip over actually the lungs, the ribs, because I want to just get to, like you said, the very, very basics. <laughs> um, if you just were to give a little push as if you were trying to increase your urinary stream, see if you can feel a sort of swell around your perennial area. That's the area between your vaginal opening and your anus. If you're a man, it would be your balls and your, and your anus. And then relax that. Okay. Now I want you just to go ahead and give a little push there and hold that push and take a deep breath into your belly and then relax again. You might notice that your hips kind of rocked a little bit when you did that. So your butt kind of goes backwards. So this time I want you to hold the push, take a nice deep breath in and let that butt rock backwards and then relax. Literally what you're doing as you develop that skill is getting your vagina to open like a mouth and then relax and bring something in. So that's the receiver side. On the adaptive giver side, so that's being an active receiver as opposed to just laying there and being entered like a, a hole, you actually have a mouth. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. as a adaptive giver, as opposed to penetrating and just puncturing and pushing through, mm. support your weight. And allow the person to pull and bring you in. And once they've brought you into the depth that they like, as opposed to thrusting and banging forwards, back it up. Take your hips and go backwards. So now what you essentially have is a mouth that's sucked in the phallus. And then that phallus can reverse. And there will be this slight sensation of, Suction, where like the penis is being held or the dildo or the strap on or the finger, whatever that now you've gone through one penetration becomes bi-directional Two, you have a reorientation on sensation and three, you then have a new way of creating more sensation and embodying it. That is the most basic basic level of it. We haven't got anything about how learning how to isolate your hips, learning to play with that pelvic floor as like a gearbox for pleasure, how to then start to go into like cervical stimulation. And so I would say then like if you get deeper into it is understanding, well, what is the landscape inside? What is the actual anatomical structures that we're interacting with? How can we align these anatomical structures to create very specific types of sensations inside the body. And then how can we then start to go into stimulating these anatomical areas to different levels? And then from there, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But mm. the very, very basic is, can you as an active receiver, bring a person into your body and then as an adaptive giver, allow yourself to be brought in. And as opposed to trying to push for more sensation is mm. actually going backwards. Cause that's going to create that first little bit of suction Mm. and then from there the snowball starts and the rabbit hole goes deep (laughs) amazing yeah i think i i think i might naturally sort of do that anyway sometimes there's definitely like and and from my work with yoni massage like i i know that not only can the vagina create that sort of drawing in suction effect but the cervix sometimes if you've got a really like articulate cervix even the like sometimes my partner says he can feel my cervix like latching on and sucking onto the head of his penis which is totally a thing and then that's kind of like a double layer of 
suction. So now we're talking like level level three, like literally, like this is it's yeah. so important because we're told, for instance, the cervix is just this numb part of our body that mm-hmm. isn't innervated, has no sensation, but man, the energetics that are there, and you will find that whether you're at the very entrance of the vagina, like literally you could just take the head of the penis and just place it at the entrance and start to experience suction. Normally just before and just behind each one of these quote unquote erogenous zones that we can find within the vagina. And frankly, I really like the term CUV complex because you're not bisecting, you know, dissecting the clitoris from the vagina, from the urethral sponge, CUV, clitoral, urethral, vaginal complex. And then again, even that is leaving out. And again, of course, the cervix is a part of the uterus. So this is an internal organ that comes into the vagina. But I would also bring in the entire cervix and womb because just like a penis, a cervix, if you look at it, looks very much like the head of a penis. It definitely does get erect and it definitely can create suction. And by the way, so can a penis. Mm. It's able to actually suck and pull fluids as well as shoot them out. So these type of things are what I really like that you're saying is because it shouldn't have to be something that people go, oh, that's completely foreign. No, actually, Mm. it's really natural. And the fact that we're already doing it, especially in that really connected, like deep, intimate sex, you feel that your bodies are one. These things are starting to happen. The cervix is naturally going to do that. And that's when most guys bust because it's like like sucking our souls out, you know? <laughs> and we're like, oh, how do we deal with this energy that's there? But then starting to like play with that and help each other kind of be able to expand that and grow that becomes so important. And I think it's so important that this is something that we do naturally do. And then how can we build off of it? It's like we naturally walk, but when we want to run, we can naturally run, but then, oh, but that coach will sit there and help you turn all of a sudden you run into a sprint and then all you can optimize and optimize and optimize and get stronger and stronger and stronger at it. Should be no different with sex. It's my opinion. Totally. Totally. It's a skill that we can practice. And, you know, especially if you've, if you've got someone you can practice with regularly, then you can kind of, you can practice together and get even better at that skill. And I definitely tip my hat to your partner. It's good to know that there's other men out there like that. And I'm very lucky to have someone like that in your life. Oh yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, and and I was just about to mention like what it was like to be someone who nerds out on this stuff and studies it and practices it myself, but be like back when I was in the dating pool and trying to find that partner that could meet me on that level that you know wasn't really intimidated or weirded out by the way that I wanted to have sex. Um, it was really tricky because you know like I. I know the potential and I know how I like to be treated and and where I want to go with my lovemaking. And then when you were, I don't know, with someone new or you're kind of having a bit of like casual sex and seeing where it goes, often I would, you know, find that people, they had, I guess, acclimated to a certain kind of sex and like physically their cocks were pretty desensitized because they kind of, you know, really – really just had this hard and fast pounding sex or when they masturbated it was gripping it really hard with like no oil and just very friction based and 
Um, and so they actually needed so much more and so much more, um, stimulation and like intensity mm-hmm. to feel anything. And so when I'm trying to have this like slow, sensual lovemaking and I'm like, <laughs> just be still, just like, just stay there and be really still. And I'm just like microscopically like moving on their cock and I'm like having a sick time, but yeah. you know, they're just like losing their <laughs> erections and stuff. Cause they're like, this feels like nothing. What are you doing? Like, and then they want to just like bump uglies you know they want to go so hard and fast that they can actually feel something um and and it's really confronting for them sometimes emotionally as well when you're trying to have this sort of more connected slower sex and once you slow things down and they can't really hide behind you know maybe the size of their dick or the the way that they like throw you around and fuck you really hard they don't know what to do. They like do not know how to handle that. Um, And so I'm curious to know like when people first start learning this technique, does it sort of feel a little bit like there's not enough going on to keep them interested or like, you know, because there isn't enough friction and there's not enough like movement going on? Um, Or is it actually just so sort of sensational once you get – them to the point that they're yeah like I don't know how do you I guess people that are coming to you are like on board already I suppose but yeah do you come up against a bit of resistance to like oh but this doesn't feel good for my dick or like this doesn't feel good for my pussy because I am used to that really hard and fast pounding and now everything's so numb that like if I don't have that I can't feel much you know hey me again If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep, you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh, if fashion isn't your passion, though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte because... I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. (laughs) You can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also have a Sunroom profile over on the Sunroom app, as I've mentioned. And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. Um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. Um, well, I really enjoy the fact that a lot of my clients aren't coming from the kind of spiritual, I mean, like these are sort of like high performance people that are wanting to have something very relatable. And I think you see that on the, the, like my Instagram, for instance, with suction sex, that it's like very applicable stuff that like men and women can just do right away. And I'd like to say too, as well, that Suction sex doesn't mean that there isn't friction. Like, I, mean, I think it would be impossible uh, to not have friction there. So again, it is a listening skill that people develop, being able to meet what it is that they and their partner want. And frankly, a lot of times women can be just as numb as the men are. And so what ends up happening 
is that they meet themselves where they're at. And just that first ability to have the sucking and being pulled in gives the new sensation that goes, okay, now they're paying a lot more attention to every little bit of themselves, which is already going to start to create more sensation. Now, if they start to move more quickly and go into friction, they can do that and then have again that place as a home base that they can come back to the stillness and start to feel. So a big part of it is literally where do you place your awareness? And then all of a sudden they're going to start to experience more. Now you will find, I think where I notice a lot of times is that specifically only having the very in and out long stroke is kind of like what gets the guy to come. And even for some women, especially if like, the corona, the tip of the head comes past the entrance where the, the, the clitoral legs are that creates this kind of clitoral expansion. There's a lot of girth cells right around the entrance. This is normally where a lot of women will feel pleasure maybe for the first five to 15 minutes and then later it feels good inside, but it feels painful on the outside, but they just kind of bear through it or ignore that. So like that's one area that a lot of them will kind of default to, but getting them to start to learn to coordinate their hips in a different way is going to provide a different type of sensation for the woman. Also, it's going to give an alternate motion for the man that it's like, Hey, this is going to help you be able to last longer. So do the thing that you normally do incorporate one little bit of change. And that's what actually the nine dates for suction sex, that whole product is how can you do what you do and change just one thing in each date? And by the time you finish the nine dates, you will be having sex in a very different way. So I think it's really important that we don't have people just kind of abandoning what they've already done, but rediscovering how they're actually already doing a lot of the things that are there. And then by just changing a little bit of the awareness and changing a little bit of movement here and there, all of a sudden the windows of possibility change and we literally start to resensitize ourselves. Another part that I do is if you are a solo practitioner, you know, on your own, then understanding that your masturbation is your training grounds for amazing sex. Yeah. Start to stimulate yourself differently. Don't just take the vibrator and slam it on your clitoris. I mean, most women, if a lover treated themselves the way they treat themselves as a masturbation, they'd be like, yeah. you are a selfish, uncaring lover <laughs> who just wants <laughs> to like get me off. It's like, well, what are you doing to yourself actually? And the same thing with men, you know, you're hunched over a computer in this posture and then you just are moving your hand and you're wanking away and you're not actually opening up your chest space. You're not engaging with the imagery, with your creative mind. You are not moving your body into your hand. All these different things translate towards poor sex. So getting them, yes, to actually resensitize understand, you know, that, that there's a different ideology on how sex can happen and then starting to embody it. Again, these are the basics of sex and sex. It is the same, whether you're doing it in sex or you're doing it with your, with yourself, but there is this kind of resensitization process, but giving people carrots along the way is not actually that difficult because the standard is so low and some people are going to be motivated by their partner's pleasure Others are going to be motivated by their own pleasure. So there's always an in, and that's kind of where I love to work with people and develop bespoke programs because it's not just a one-size-fit-all, no pun intended. 
but instead how that our bodies can actually adapt together and that we can become our greatest lovers, which then allows us to be, have developed that sexual confidence to help and enjoy any person that we choose to be with and how they can then become our greatest lovers and create that union together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rad. Yeah. I think it's so important to like treat it like a dance and this sort of dynamic thing that's constantly undulating between different states. And sometimes it's slow and sometimes it's more hard and fast. And it's, it's really down to, you know, the two people and being able to read and, and listen to one another's needs and, yeah, there's no one right way to have sex. So it's nice to have the different tools in your toolkit to kind of bring them in at the right moments and learn how to know which tools to use at which times. So yeah, really cool. I'm loving the sound of this. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your knowledge. And yeah, I, I like the way your brain works. And, and I think the, the linguistics piece is, yeah, is really interesting to me because I love language and I love words. And I think that that makes people's brains work in a different way when they're coming mm. from that lens. Like I, it's I've never studied it, but I listen to linguistics podcasts because I'm a weird nerd and I love. Oh, language. that's awesome! <laughs> <laughs> and it's really cool because I find that people who are into that, like the way I guess you just have more words and a deeper understanding of words to then explain and articulate other things, and to have like to have these thought processes with like all of these extra words back. Does that make sense? I don't have the words to articulate what I mean right now. (laughs) Anyway, thank you. Um, It's been a pleasure. Well, Freya, thank you for having me on. Thank you for your curious mind as well as for what you are bringing out to the world because I find one of the most powerful things that when I listen to your podcast and what you're doing is that you're normalizing the conversation around sex regardless of what words people use because most people just don't talk about it. And the fact that you can be fun, that you can have humor, joke, but at the same time, I feel the deep reverence inside you as well as irreverence, I think that that just really humanizes everything and makes it relatable. So thank you for having me on and thank you for the work that you do. Oh, stop. Thank you. Love that. Um, I'm going to put your links in the show notes and you've got a free gift for everyone that I'll put in the Labia Lounge Facebook group. So definitely check out Aaron's work. I think on Instagram, it's Suction Sex. Is that right? Yep. You'll see everything on suction sex with Instagram. There's links in there, but I'll also provide them here for you as well. Cool. Rick on. All right. Thank you, everyone. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyagraph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT, and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.